You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 121 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Oh, Val, I'm I'm all over the shop. Why? Why? Well, two things. Do you know what? I have to tell you something. Every time I hear your name, I have that song <laughs> in my head. You know that Mark Ronson song? Yeah. And I went to, you know, do you know the, so it's Amy Winehouse oh, yes. and Mark Bronson doing the cover of Valerie. Yes. And I went to this, uh, I went to a ball on oh. Saturday night and the band played that song and it was like you were next to me getting ready to record the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> So there's that. I just want I just want you to have that association in your head of thinking of me singing that song every single time I hear your name, and now everyone else will be singing it as well. Uh, (laughs) But no, okay. So that was one one small thing. No, I'm all over the place because I'm very excited. I I made an announcement today in my newsletter um, about the fact that the Mapmaker Chronicles will be published in the US in 2017, and at the same time, I've also had a little work done. Um, not on my face. Okay. <laughs> I, was could, say. I could probably do with that, but no, on my website. So I have a brand new look. So, um, if and you your website s- is at alisontate.com. I was just about to do that. You didn't allow me to segue. Sorry. I was, just, I was just about to say, if you'd like to see some more information about my fantastic announcement and see my facelift, please yes. go to alisontate.com. <laughs> and, um, that's so exciting, isn't it? About the mapmaker series being released in the US. I know it's I oh just honestly God. it's the kind of thing that you just go oh I this I you know you write your books and you do the best you can with them and you I was so excited when they were published in the first place and for them mm. to then sort of go to other territories and for them to have been so well received as they have it's just a you know like as an author it doesn't get any better. And I just really? and I have to say that you know the community that um so the community that's, that's kind of built up around my blog and Facebook and stuff over the years has just been so incredibly supportive. And I think that that word of mouth mm. that comes from that um, is, is invaluable for just, you know, getting the, getting the books out there. And, I yeah, look, honestly, I, I'm wrapped. I can't um, so wait Kane till it's Miller, released. Kane Miller in the US will be publishing the books um, June 2017. So And they're all coming out at once, which is exciting. So people can, oh. you know. Yeah, so you can buy the whole set if you want to. That's um, and yeah, I'll keep people updated as to details and and anything else that they might need to know as we as we get closer. Because I realise that June is quite a long way away. Can you imagine um, all the shelfies that we'll get from America? Oh, I sincerely hope we get like a billion shelfies that from America. That is so I'll be exciting. So, it's so weird to think that your book is going to the US without you, though. Like that's a kind of strange thing. Well, anyway. here's the thing: you all just have to go with it. <laughs> I mean, I, let's I just will. arrange that, Al. We should just go. Well, I'll, we should. We should I, go we, we, on a book tour and I'll be like your, 
you know, pseudo tour manager. <laughs> All right. This is this is Val, my pseudo tour manager. This my biggest problem is though that I come with an entourage and I don't think my entourage would be happy for me to go to the US without them. This oh. is my getting out the door. Oh, you mean they're called children? With my two, no, three and my husband, with the three <laughs> of them standing there going, but what about us? We could come. We can carry the books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. true. What about you, Val? What have you been up to this week? Uh, I've had a very grumpy couple of days. <laughs> Are you like grumpy cat? A bit like grumpy cat. I mean, worse than grumpy cat. Oh. Um, I just slept funny a couple of nights ago and it's, in, I've been in, in a little bit of pain. Oh. So, but that's all right. I'm going to get fixed this afternoon. So I'll be less grumpy. Aren't you just on, you know, good drugs that make it all go away? No, it occurred to me this morning I should have just taken some, but I forgot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know, ridiculous. So I was just grumpy for a fair bit instead. But anyway, we don't want to talk about my grumpiness. We want to give a shout out to Sumi341. Oh, hello. Yeah. Sumi341 has left us a review on iTunes and Sumi has said, I started listening to it recently and have downloaded almost all the podcasts that interest me and listen to it almost exclusively while walking. Gives Mm. me some inspiration and amazing tips on writing, especially since I'm a procrastinator. Mm. Hi, Sumi. Welcome to the club. Yes, welcome to the club. And also trying to find a way to tap into my creativity. Keep up the good work. Oh, there you go. Thanks, Sumi. Thank you so much, Sumi. We're thrilled. Sumi's probably walking along as we and listening to yes. this as she's going, so we should talk at a good cadence, a nice yes. pace. Good yeah. pace, yes. All right. <laughs> All right. If you Come do on. have uh, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because it certainly helps us in the rankings. So thank you so much to Sumi and everyone else who has left us a review. Very awesome. Hmm. Thank you very much. Yes. So shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week? Okay, let's. (laughs) Probably about time we did that. What a good idea. The first link I have for you is from The Guardian. It's actually an opinion piece by Charlotte Wood and it's called The Writer's Epiphany. I can pinpoint precise lessons from other authors and their work. Now, Charlotte Wood, of course, is uh, is an author and she wrote the very, the ridiculously successful book, The Natural Way of Things. And uh, she's talking about the fact that when she's chatted to authors in the past, she can really hone certain lessons that she has learned from them that has have helped her in her own writing. And I think that that's particularly pertinent because in this podcast, you get to listen to a lot of different authors. Mm-hmm. And even, and I think that what's really useful is not necessarily just downloading the um the, the authors that interest you because you or, or that are in your genre or that you know uh, in your style of book but to listen to other authors who you may not normally come into contact with or who you may not normally be interested in because you can learn so much even from authors who might write in a completely different way to what you're used to in fact possibly you'll learn even more from them because they come from it at another perspective and I think it's really really useful um, to to not just write in isolation but to listen to tips from other authors because it's just um it's it's just that unique perspective that can make you think oh i 
I should try it that way. It's something that I know that business owners seek out and they, they constantly want to talk to other business owners even though they're in completely different industries because typically they'll always learn something that they can pl- apply in their own industry. And so I encourage authors or aspiring authors to do exactly that. Make sure you listen to interviews or, or, or go to interviews or talks or panels or, or podcasts or whatever, even to with writers that who may not, you, you think may not be your kind of thing because you'll probably learn a lot from them. I, you know what, I have to say I completely agree with that because um, several things. Mm. Some of the most unexpectedly interesting interviews that we've done for this podcast have come from areas that I I wasn't expecting. I know that sounds. I know I've used unexpected and expecting there, but <laughs> um, I because I found as I went like I it's like any interview, um, and it's interesting because my uh, freelance writing class at the moment we've been talking about interviews quite a lot, and people have been saying how they prefer email interviews because you know you get exact wording from people and you know that people have had time to think about it and you get and I, and I go back to them and I say to them yes but you always have a better interview on the phone or face to face because mm. you can follow the tangents and you don't know what the tangents will be in advance so if you just send your 10 questions through you're only really going to know what you thought you were going to know mm. whereas if you have a phone conversation or you have a face to face conversation it takes you always in unexpected directions and I've found that quite a lot with talking to our writers and I think one of the things to learn is that even though someone may be writing in a different genre to you um, they may be the same kind of writer that you are in the sense that so Michael Robotham being a you know fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy really floored me like I just had no idea that you could write such convoluted detailed, plotted, um, you know, crime novels yeah. without knowing who did it until you got to sort of three pages before the end. Like <laughs> I found that absolutely fascinating. And the conversation I had recently with um, Nova Wheatman, who writes yeah. for children, the same as me, um, but she's also a screenwriter. And so we had a fantastic, you know, chat about different aspects of, of writing. Um, yeah, like it's it's one of those situations where I think that, you learn something mm. from every single interview. And I think that's what Charlotte talks about in uh, in the uh, article that we discussed, or the Guardian article, because of a lot of the stuff in this comes from a podcast or you know, a, set, a series of interviews that she did. Um, and she talks about the things that she learned from the different um, – the different authors and writers that she spoke to. And her book, The Writer's Room, uh, which is out now through Alan and Unwin, is a compilation of of a lot of those interviews. And Mm. I think that um, learning from the way that other people work as much as anything, even if it's not your genre, is so important. And it's, as I said, some uh, some of the interviews that I didn't necessarily expect were going to be the most interesting ones have been. And mm. so I would really, you know, recommend that you try some that you maybe haven't tried before. If yeah. you've gone through and cherry picked, go back and try a few different ones because you will learn something. You'll be pleasantly surprised. I yeah, really, yeah. really surprised. Yeah, very much so. Mm. I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised yeah. uh, when I listen to authors thinking, you know, and you kind of leave them on because you're just in the car and you can't fast forward or whatever. Mm. Um, and and yeah, always. Uh, and to the, to the point where I got in the habit now that I don't 
I don't cherry pick in that sense. Um, anyway, let's move on to a different topic. Thanks. This is from The Right Practice and it's by Ruthann Reed and the post is called No Writing is Wasted. And I think that, the well, the point of the article is basically that, you know, you can sometimes think or you hear some aspiring authors think, yeah, you know, I'm just not in the right headspace or I don't want to waste my time writing unless I know for sure that's the way the plot's going to go. Or I don't want to waste my time doing 10,000 words unless I know for sure that the publisher's going to like that character or whatever it is. Mm. And the thing is that... Um, to put it crudely, sometimes you've got to let the shit out for the gold to appear. Valerie, <laughs> you're going to get us an explicit, you know, rating now with that no, kind of talk. it wasn't like the F word or anything. No, no, no. Well, I, th- I think there's a fantastic quote doing the rounds on the internet and I can't remember who it's by, but it talks about the fact that um, writing a first draft is like shoveling sand into a box knowing that I'm going to make sand castles out of it later. And I think that that's a really less, you know. <laughs> that's a more elegant way of putting it. Well, you know, it's a more iTunes-friendly way of putting it. <laughs> but, no, I totally agree. Um, writing is not wasted. And in, to the yeah. point where entire manuscripts can be written and go nowhere and sit in drawers and then at some point down the track you pull them out and you go, you know what, maybe there's something in this. Maybe it's not this book that I've written but maybe that character actually has a different story or maybe, you know, it, there's mm. there's something else to be used in the setting. And, I mean, I've got several full-length manuscripts that are just sitting in a drawer and every once in a while I get them out and I have a little think about them and I rework things and then I, you know, put them away again and because I'm working on something else. But um, every word that you write brings you closer to writing the the best words and I yeah. think that that's probably um, what you need to bear in mind. And I think, you know, people get so worried, oh, what if they don't like it? Well, you know what, you're probably going to have to edit it. Trust me, from my perspective and the weeks I've had recently, you're going to have to edit it anyway. So you might as well write it as it comes out mm. and then have another look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess also following on from that, it doesn't quite follow on, but it's. Oh, okay. it, it made so you, me you can't think, think of a better segue, so <laughs> well, we're just going to go with this one. Okay. It made me think of this when I read this uh, post. And of course, we'll put all of the links to these posts in the show notes, which you'll find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Uh, it made me think even when you're writing emails, or just emails to your friends, or um, uh, Facebook posts, just put that effort into into writing those posts or those emails because that actually, especially when you're starting out, you're, in a, you're an emerging writer, actually helps hone your writing. Mm-hmm. And and one great example I've got is one of our students in the uh, magazine and newspaper writing course. She would just write, because she was originally from South Africa but emigrated to Sydney, she would just write emails to her friends. Mm-hmm. But she put effort into them, you know, about life in Sydney. This is what life in Sydney is like. But they subsequently got forwarded to uh, the editor of a South African magazine, Glossy Magazine, and she ended up getting a gig with them just from her emails. <laughs> oh, you know? that's fantastic. So, you know, just yeah, put your effort even into your emails. Mm. Anyway, let's move on to our next post. And our next post is, um, oh, yeah, have you heard the big scandal? No. Um, Another one? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? The big scandal of uh, Michelle Fields, 
is her name, um, a, a journalist in America from the Huffington Post who has been caught in a plagiarism scandal. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, there's lots and lots on the internet about it. So if you're interested, people just uh, Google Michelle Fields and plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a terrible thing to A, do, uh, and B, to have that stain on your name on the internet for ever basically because mm. what she's done is she's released a book and um there and people have uh basically analyzed the book and done side-by-side reviews of places where she has plagiarized and they and they include um the new york times bloomberg the free beacon quite a number of different places where she's plagiarized things in mm-hmm. some cases when you look at the side-by-side it, they are practically word for word, like maybe one word changed. But in other cases, which is interesting, they are not word for word, but they are essentially the same. She's changed it enough that you you wouldn't call it a straight lift. But, and that she probably thought, that's good enough because it, it's it is different words. Yeah, but, but she hasn't attributed where she got the information from. Oh, so okay. that's the thing. It's that so she's described conversations that have occurred in you know certain instances, and they were originally reported let's say, in the New York Times. Mm. But the thing is you can't just rewrite it unless you're actually there witnessing the conversation. Mm. You can't really, as a journalist, you can't write it as if you were there. Mm. So if you have found out the information from uh, another source, you sh- you do need to attribute it. Yeah, and as, then, as the New York Times reported, blah, 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 blah. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. So it's a, I guess it's a good warning for people that just because you change the words, doesn't mean you can get away with it if, in fact, you should be attributing it to you yeah. know, a certain source. Yeah. So do you know people who have plagiarised, Al? You don't have to mention their name. Oh, God, off the top of my head, no. I No? Do, or, do I? Do no. I? <laughs> you and I know a lot of the same people. Yeah, do I? I, think, I think you do. Oh. I'll tell you later. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so naive. I don't even know. Um, well, look, I think it's uh, yeah. I, um, I'm just I'm kind of surprised. I yes. Guess. Why would you do? Th- I mean, it's well, such and to a... put it out in a book. Like, what's I the? Know. What are we thinking here? Like an actual book, because even if you put it out online, at least you can delete it. <laughs> is it because the Huffington Post has, doesn't pay them? She needs to make her money somehow. Is that I what it is? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I suspect that she is is paid for the. I don't. I'm not sure because I believe she's, you know, like a staffer. Oh, okay. Um, so it's just their other. It's only their freelancers. They don't pay. I think so. Yes. Right. Okay. Anyway, so there you go. Um, just a warning to to people if you're, you know, getting information from somewhere. Yeah. Always say where you got it. Yes. Yeah. So the other thing that I thought I would bring up because I heard this great story the other day uh, about now it's not so much the lost art of letter writing. It's are people being, or younger people even these days being taught how, what letters are (laughs) because I was talking to a woman who for 18 months 
uh, it took her 18 months to realise this. So she still sends letters from time to time for whatever reason, you know, Uh as in in her business. Uh She still sends letters from time to time. And you know how at the end of uh, when you write a letter, you write your sincerely, your kind regards or whatever, and Mm. you leave like three returns. Uh You leave, say, three lines and then you have your name and then you put your signature in that space. Uh Yeah? Yeah. You know that. Uh So her assistant did not know that. And it took her 18 months to discover that her assistant, when she was signing on her behalf, was just signing randomly on the page. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the little space. At least it was signed. That's a good start. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. She had never been taught this. Oh, bless. (laughs) Well, why would she? You know, she sends emails. (laughs) You don't sign emails. So, you know, I'm just – the lot start of the business writing letter, uh, sometimes we need to think and, and, and train the people who may not have ever been exposed to letters before, I guess. Gosh. Anyway, just a funny story for Thanks you. Thanks for that, Val. You're you welcome. do love a good we're losing handwriting letter writing skills <laughs> story, don't you? True. <laughs> not that she's getting old or anything. No. No. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. All right. What else have you got for us? We have our giveaway for this month. In celebration of Crime and Thriller Month, uh, which, of course, is also accompanied by our pop-up podcast called Murder and Mayhem, for those of you who are interested in crime and thriller writing. It's where we have curated 31 of the world's best crime and thriller authors. And for 31 days, just for the month of August, you get the Murder and Mayhem podcast and its accompanying ebook, which you can uh, download for free at uh, murdercourse.com. But I've got the book and I love it. Awesome. But if you want uh, a giveaway, if you want a chance to win these these awesome packs of eight books each, so we have two packs of eight books each and they are full of crime and thriller goodies by, you know, people like Ruth Rendell, James Phelan, Jeffrey Deva, Bram Connolly, all sorts of fantastic crime and thriller authors. The competition is open until the 29th of August and you just need to go to writerscentre.com.au slash win in order to enter. So you have until the 29th of August to do that and uh, good luck. Good luck. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our on-demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash publishing. All right, Al, guess what our word of the week is? Oh, 
you know what? I don't know that I could guess. Well, there's like how many words? 80,000 billion of them and I'm supposed to choose the one that's going to be. Maybe you should just tell me. Okay. okay. It is, I've, and have you ever used it? It is inchoate. That's I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E, inchoate. Uh, I think I can pretty much guarantee I haven't used it, though I have seen it. And I had no idea how to pronounce it. It would have been one of those ones that I would have thrown into a conversation and got wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I have not used it either. Uh, it comes from the Latin word meaning to yoke, like, you know, when you yoke a ox to a plough. Mm-hmm. And according to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means something that has just begun or is immature, rudimentary or lacking organisation. Mm. So you might say his idea was inchoate, you know, because it's still forming, right? Mm. Or you might say the political party was just starting out. So it was in an inchoate state of organisation. Inchoate. Mm. Now you can sleep. And probably will, yes. (laughs) Thanks. I'm I'm, joking. Don't you like my words? I love your words. We've talked about this before. Maybe you'll sleep better and you won't be so grumpy. That would work well. That's true. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for our writer in residence? I am. I am. Who have we got? Oh, this is a cracker. 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 Yes. So I picked up this book and I just thought, oh, I'll just have a little flick. And uh, I have to admit, I read it in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It's, um, I love it's, that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unexpected because it's not the sort of thing that you would probably think I would read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's by James Phelps, who is a um, – uh, he actually is a sports writer for the Sunday Telegraph. Mm. Again, you probably wouldn't think that I would read, but it's called Australia's Toughest Prisons Inmates. Now, wow. Is this, is this go with your new cage fighting persona? <laughs> so at first he wrote the book uh, Australia's Hardest Prison Inside mm. the Walls of Long Bay Jail. Mm-hmm. Then he wrote Australia's most murderous prison behind the walls of Goulburn Jail and now Australia's toughest prisons, colon, inmates. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so I had a chat with James about his writing process, about how in the world he got into writing about prisons, particularly since he's a sports writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the chat. Thanks for joining us today, James. Yeah, thank you. Now, I picked up your book thinking, you know, I'll get a little bit of reading in before I needed to go do whatever my next task was. And hours and hours and hours later, I was still sitting on the sofa because I couldn't put it down. So just for readers who haven't read your book yet, tell us what it's about. Well, I actually saw a bit of an Instagram from you and apparently you don't read that sort of thing. So it actually got back to me and I'm very, very impressed that you got through it and in one night. 
but it's a it's a book on prisons. So um, it's actually my third book that I've written. But for this one, I've gone a little bit different. The other two have been sort of more researchy pieces where I've spoken to guards and gone through court records and things like this. But this one's straight from the inmate's mouth. So I've gone out and sort of gathered up murderers and um, serial killers and all the people you can think of and, and written their stories about what life is like for them in jail or was like for them in jail. So it's a little bit different in terms that it comes direct from them, but um, yeah, it's absolutely gripping some of the stuff these guys go through. And it's not necessarily the the people that we all know and fear. There's some people out there that you wouldn't have even heard of that just have these um, horrendous jail stories and, and their lives in jail. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have mentioned that you have written two other books about prisons and they clearly there's a theme here. So there's Australia's Hardest Prison, which was about Long Bay Jail, and Australia's Most Murderous Prison, which is about Goulburn. So, uh, and now, you know, you've got uh, Australia's Toughest Prisons. In the inma- it's about inmates, as you've said. I'm running out of titles, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> this franchise could go on forever, potentially. So when did you start thinking, oh, I might start writing about prisons? Yeah, I'm actually a sports journalist by trade. I work for the Sunday Telegraph and I cover rugby league and motorsport. And my first book was on Chad Reed. He's an Australian uh, motorcycle rider. He actually uh, races over in the US. And um, that one actually never got published. So um, it's still on the shelf. We, we wrote it and then he had some doubts about it. And he wanted the book coming out after he retired because it was too controversial. So I moved on from that and did a V8 supercar book with a guy called Dick Johnson and that was a little bit of a better experience, but the, the book was went to number one, which I was uh, lucky enough to to have the top biography that year. And the publisher came up to me and said, uh, "What's next? You know, Jamie Winkup or a, or a rugby league player?" And I said, "No, doing sport for ten months a year. I wanted to write about something that I'd read about on my holidays to make it a bit more interesting." And I bumped into a prison guard at a party, and he was telling me these stories. I'm thinking, "This can't be right. It's not true." He obviously had a few beers, and I contacted him the next day when he was sober. And uh, fair enough, it, it all checked out. And I thought, well. I'll do a little bit more on this and um, if I can find a few guys with a few more stories, I've got a book here and that's how it all started. Wow. And so when you first started thinking I might write about prisons, did you think this could be a bit dangerous because of the people that I need to interview or come in contact with? No, that thought really never crossed my mind, to be honest. I mean, being a journalist, you you kind of go headfirst into things without really thinking about the consequences. But, yeah, believe me, there's been a few scares along the way. But really, at the end of the day, as long as your writing is true and you stand by it, I mean, um, you you can't be fearful of what's going to happen. All right, so you said there were some scary moments. What were some of the scary moments? Yeah, I actually had a $100,000 bounty placed on my head uh, midway through last year. Um, it was by a pretty infamous uh, criminal that I wrote about in one of the books. And, um, yeah, I got a call from um, ASIO, believe it or not, and it was true, taken pretty seriously. So, Oh, my yeah. God. That's, not, that's more than just a bit scary. Yeah, no, it was pretty scary, yeah. I, um, <laughs> it was funny. I didn't really think about it at first and sort of dismissed it, but then – a couple of weeks later, you start seeing some dodgy characters driving down your street and ended up with quite a collection of baseball bats. Oh, my God. All right. So you, uh, as you were saying, you wrote about, you write about mainly sport uh, and not so much prisons. When did you kind of think, you just take me back to when did you kind of think, oh, you know, I, I might want to be a writer? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> do you want to go all the way back? Yeah, it why was, not? Um, when I was probably eight years old, I remember I was sick at some point. My dad was always a big reader 
And for whatever reason, I had an interest in horror. And I ended up with a Stephen King book called Salem's Lot when I was eight. And um, I managed to get through the whole thing. And it started a bit of an obsession with me reading Stephen King and, and Dean Koontz. And from eight till 12, I probably got through everything they had. And um, yeah, I started writing big books as well, even younger than that. I sent Roald Dahl a book that I drew up and he actually sent me a letter back from England, which was pretty cool. Oh my God, that's fantastic. Yeah, and my mum actually has brought out all these little books that I wrote when I was four or five that I didn't even know I did. So obviously it was always there. Yeah. Um, but when I was sort of 15, 16, I wasn't very good at English in school. I was up playing rugby league. Um, and I think I got 15 and under in my trial HSC, believe it or not, for English. Uh-huh. And I did about a week's study and ended up getting over 80. But I gave up on writing, just didn't think that I had it. And full circle, I ended up getting a job in a print centre with News Limited when I was about 20, mm. part-time. I was studying commerce and, um, yeah, I was thrust into the world of journalism and I decided I wanted to do it and went for it and ended up, yeah, being a journalist and, uh, and a writer. So Wow. So you said that you started reading Stephen King and Dean Koontz. Have you ever felt, you know, I might try writing a book like that, like fiction? Yeah, I'm actually in the process of doing one. Um, yeah, I've been having a go at it here and there for a while. It's it's a little bit different, I guess, but it keeps on. I keep on putting it off writing the nonfiction. Obviously, they've been very successful, and it's a, mm. a proven income there. So every time I go to get stuck into it, I get offered a new contract for another book. So <laughs> I have to sort of put it on the back burner. But certainly, that that is my ultimate ambition. Fantastic. So with this book, the one I couldn't put down, you obviously had to go to prisons and visit inmates what was that like had you when was the first time you visited a prison um it was probably when a inmate a former inmate for my first book took me out to long bay and i actually didn't go in but we scaled the perimeter and he was telling me various stories from outside and i, I was sort of looking in and then a, a prison officer took me not long after that inside unofficially hmm. and um yeah since then i've been going sort of in and out visiting obviously inmates and also doing tours and things like that. So, mm. You've spoken also to many prison guards, and apart from the ones you meet at parties or, or, or you know, do you – how did one go about finding guards to speak to? It's funny. Once you get the ball rolling with one, you end up getting many. So you gain the trust of one and he'll recommend you to his mates, and from there they'll recommend you to more mates. Um, but with the Goulburn book, actually, that was a quite different experience because it's such an isolated jail and they all seem to work around that area. They're all in families. Um, it's a little bit ancestral, actually, but mm. I had to go knocking on doors down in Goulburn uh, to meet these prison guards. They wouldn't have a bar of me, but eventually once I knocked on their doors and got to knew them, um, then the, the floodwaters opened, I'd, you'd say. Mm, did you actually knock on doors? Oh, I knocked on doors, yeah. Really? Yep, Journalism 101. It got names off uh, the electoral roll and uh, found addresses and actually took me probably three or four houses and they'd moved and moved and you know, got one, got two, got three, and away I went. Oh, my God, that's that's committed. Yeah, flowers Flowers always do the job. If, if it's a woman, you take flowers. If it's a man, you take beer. Great. So with this book about inmates, obviously you had to research different, different inmates and different kinds of inmates. How did you determine the ones that you were going to go with? Um, I guess it was a process of who I found and sort of, it was different. Like, I mean, you don't really have a criminal network to call on. but. No. Um, 
you put things out on Facebook and obviously friends will contact you and say, oh, I know someone that's in jail or been in jail and yeah. you listen to their story, find out. If it's interesting enough, it would make the book. And some others, sort of the high-profile guys, you know, they pick themselves, guys like Ivan yeah. Malat and um, the old mate down in Risden, Martin Bryant. Mm. Um, and I didn't get to speak to those guys and I, I don't think I'd want to, but obviously I spoke to a lot of people that had dealt with them and I got the inside story on their lives that way. Did you try to speak to either of them? Yeah, absolutely uh, shut down by corrections. Mm, so sure. I don't think they even had a choice in it. No. So of when you decide, okay, I want to um, talk to this prisoner, John Smith, mm-hmm. what do you do? What did you do? What's your process? Do you just ring up the prison and say, hey? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the family's the best bet. So mm. Craig Field, an ex-footballer, is featured in the book. Yes. Uh, he's doing 10 years for manslaughter up at Cessnock in maximum security. Yes. So I tracked down his wife and, you know, got to know her over a period of weeks and um, eventually gained her trust and she organised with Craig that gave permission for me to go and visit him. But basically all you do is you have to find out their MIN number, which is basically their inmate number, mm-hmm. and you ring up the jail and they, they tell you what day their visits are. They're usually Saturday and Sunday between uh, 9 and 1 and then you basically just book yourself in. So you, you tell them your name and then they give you a time and then they'll go and tell the prisoner that they've got a visit. Here's the person. Do you want to go or not? So you could actually go to the visit centre and wait, and they mightn't come out. That means that they don't want to visit you, but mm. they've got the option to do it. And it's a pretty daunting process in itself, rocking up to a prison. You have to get your, your eyeballs scanned and your fingerprints taken. You get searched. Uh, you can get cavity searched if you look suspicious as well through X-ray machines. So, you know, it's quite daunting. Yeah, right. Wow. Which was the scariest or most daunting visit? Well, I think Goulburn Jail is the most daunting and scariest prison you could go to. It, it's just, it has a reputation. It's a very old jail. You can see the history in the walls. There's a big lion out the front and there's a bit of a legend there. Mm. Apparently, if you leave and look back at the lion, that means that you're going to be coming back. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. So when inmates are released, they don't dare turn around, but a few of them have a sneaky peek. It's one of those things that sort of plays on your mind. But, yeah, definitely that child. And that's where all the worst sort of inmates are, and it's it's just got a smell about it as well. Mm. It's hard to describe. It's kind of like a mixture of sort of blood and sweat and domestos, and mm. also you can smell the history. Yeah, right. You seem to call some of the crim- these criminals your friends and because obviously you've gotten to know some of them over yep. time. Is that weird kind of reconciling what they've done, which sometimes is quite terrible, and the fact that presumably you, now, you, you think they're good blokes, they're actually good blokes? Look, I try not to judge people generally in life and um, obviously with their crimes – yeah, it's a bit difficult. Like on face value, you don't want to do anything to do with a person that's done that sort of thing. But when you hear their stories and how it happened, and put it all into perspective, and a, a lot of these guys, I mean, have terrible upbringings, and drugs are a factor as well. And you can sort of see how these things would happen. I mean, you can never condone it, mm. but um, yeah, you've got to take that person on on how they are to you and how you find them. And here there are two that. I would say I would consider mates and I'm happy to go and have a beer with them and they yeah, formed a friendship. Mm. Now that um, I've read your book, because my office is in Milsons Point and I, um, I, I now look everywhere in Milsons Point to see whether I can see um, John Killick. Yeah, he's <laughs> at the um, cafes. 
you might see him too. He might actually walk up and pick you up. He's a charming old man and goes all right with the ladies apparently. But, uh, yeah, he, he's one of those sort of old school crims that um, has become a bit of a legend on his notoriety. I mean, he never really committed a you know a heinous crime, so he didn't murder anyone and. Yeah, he did assault people. He was a violent criminal, but that, that sort of he's become one of those characters, I guess, those knockabouts that people are fascinated with. And he's an absolute gentleman, like really is now. Like, I mean, he's seventy. Mm. These crimes when he actually assaulted people or robbed banks were, or when he was a young fella in his twenties. So mm. you know, he's he's had a lifetime in prison to sit there and reflect. But you know, absolute gentleman, really is. I'll keep my eye out. So when you decided you went to that party, you saw the guard, you thought, I'm going to write that first book. How did you juggle that with your job? And because you had a full time job, and what in that first book, what time period did that take? What like what was your gestation period in terms of research, then writing? Give us if you can give us some time. Yeah, yeah sure. So I, I do it now. So I work full time mm. at, at the Sunday Telegraph, and also do a TV show on Fox once a week. So pretty busy most of the year. But um, being in sport, it's very seasonal. So. I get a good two months off at the end of each year over summer. So basically every year, uh, every book I give a year. Um, so for the 10 months while I'm working, I'll be also interviewing, researching at night, you know, during the day as well if I can, if I've got a break from my, my normal job and hopefully get all my research and interviews out of the way in that 10 months. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take the two months off and I'll go and write. And it's pretty hardcore what I do. Um, my first three books, I wrote them in tents. Intense. Yeah, went down the coast, um, got a campsite for the whole two months and sat in a tent, nothing more than a fridge, a tent, my laptop, no internet, and would write for up to 18 hours a day. You sat in a tent? Yep. In the middle of summer, it was up to 50 degrees in that tent some days, but... um, yeah, when you've got nothing nothing to do except write, like there wasn't a distraction in the world. Did you, and, um, did you write it by hand or by laptop? I, I had, a, had a laptop, so I had a powered, powered side. I actually had a fridge and a coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my little barbecue. And basically my only breaks each day were, were cooking or cleaning. And it's funny how much clean you can make your campsite when you're um, <laughs> writing a book. You can distract yourself of anything. Did you do this with all three books? Yeah, all three books, except I went soft for my last book. I actually um, rented a cabin <laughs> at Caravan Park, so I had air conditioning this time. All right, so take me to the tent or cabin with the air conditioning. What For two months then, tell describe your typical day. Like what time would you wake up? Did you have to start with a coffee made over a, a fire or something? Or how, how, did, how did that work? Did you aim to achieve a certain number of words per day or um, what was the structure? I don't think I really had uh, an aim with words, but I certainly had a daily routine and half the beauty of being in a tent for me is that um, being a writer and a journalist, I tend to have odd hours and stay up quite late when I'm at my most creative and I'll sleep in a lot. So in a tent, the sun would sort of get you up at 7am so you'd be up and going, um, get up, have breakfast, clean, have a shower. And then I'd jump straight into it. And what I'd do is look at the, the work I'd done the night before. Again, I was most creative at night. So I'd just tighten up what I'd done, have a look. That would take probably two two to three hours. And then um, I'd get out my research, work out what my next chapter was or what I needed to do. And at times during the day, I'd have to make actual phone calls and plug into the internet and fact check and get everything 
ready to go. I, I wouldn't really write, I guess, until four or five o'clock, oh. but I'd have everything prepared. Um, then I'd have some dinner and then sit down at night when everything was quiet. And then that's when I'd actually get into my, my proper thinking and writing and, you know, write up to five, 6,000 words. Wow. And as I say, it'd just, I'd let it go and flow and, um, you know, a lot of it wouldn't be that tight and I'd have to go over it again, but that's what the next morning would be for. Yeah, right. And so that's um, that's disciplined. Um, and I certainly can't imagine living in a tent for, for two months. <laughs> Do you feel now that with your next book you will still have to go back to the tent now that you've got that routine going? No, always. Um, yeah, I, I just love it. It's my favourite time of the year. I'm on my own for that whole time, um, living out there in nature with my laptop, um, yeah, it's part of the writing process for me and no distractions. I've got three young boys who can be rat bags. So even if I, I was at home, I mean, I lock the door and they'll be knocking on the door wanting me to play football or, or you know, come in with a homework query or something. So getting out of the house is really the only way I can do it. They don't come I, and try and go camping with Dad? No, they actually do come down on the weekends. So I'll um, keep that free. I'll go and pick them up maybe on the Friday afternoon and I'll come down for the weekends and, you know, I get to do a bit of work while they're there as well because I'll be off skateboarding or, mm. or doing whatever they do in the caravan park. But, um, yeah, certainly those those weekdays when no one's around in the caravan parks except for a couple of grey ghosts who might wander over and <laughs> look at the weird guy sitting out on a on a computer desk in a caravan park and, yeah, they're, they're quite funny. I've actually met some contacts too. Oh, um, really? Yeah, a prison guard ended up staying down at a caravan park that I was at that worked in the jail I was writing about. So oh, my he, God. Uh, he pulled up a chair a couple of nights, had some beers, and I got some of my best stuff out of him. That's great. So you're in a tent. Now, practically speaking, do you have a lot of research? How does that like? Yeah, you... I do. I've probably got, well, I guess, how would you say this? What, what What's this paper coming? The uh, A4 sort of. Reams. Reams, yeah. So one of those, what, they weigh about, what, a kilo, you'd mm. say? Mm. I've probably got about 20 of them <gasps> in folders. So they're all sort of, uh, they're vanilla folders, but they're sectioned off into files. Yeah. And I've got them all divided up into jails, inmates, crimes. Wow. You know, pretty well ordered. And that's what I'll be doing when I said after I sort of polish up my writing from the night before, I'll go through those files during the day, work out what I'm writing about that night, mm. pull it all out, get it in order, work out what files I have to do. And I've also got all my um, interviews transcribed. And before I go away, I've got those interviews sort of tucked away the information that I think I'm going to use it with. So there's a bit of an order before I even get to that that part. But, you know, it'll take three or four hours to just put everything in front of me that night of writing. Yeah. So with this, with the latest book, there's the way it's structured is that there is actually a thread through the entire book and yet it's also in divided up effectively by inmate or so to speak. How did you determine the best order in which to deliver that information to the reader so that they read it, you know, in a way that was going to, well, like me, that I couldn't put it down? Um, yeah, yeah, that was my biggest dilemma. Mm. <laughs> um, because what, what it was is the thought so process, yeah? Un unrelated and they're all people's stories. Um, I guess... I toyed around with the idea of putting my favourite stuff first and then getting weaker, but mm. obviously you don't want to lose the reader's interest. Um, so, yeah, I started with a bang, obviously with the introduction. I think that was probably my, my strongest stuff about Martin Bryant and the, mm. 
you know, if you read the first page, it's not for the faint-hearted. If you no. can get past the first paragraph, you're you're quite brave and doing well. It's quite explicit. Mm. Um, so it's explicit, but it's not gory or horrifying, so that you feel because I don't, I just can't deal with that sort of stuff. So it's explicit, and yet you still read on. Yeah, well, a guy is sucking something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Straight up. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But from then, I think it was. Um, I tried to take you through the process. I started off with a bit of, I guess, chronological order. So you've got a guy in a juvenile centre, which yeah. sort of gives you the overview of you know, how someone could find themselves in a position where they're committing crime and an introduction to the corrective system. And then we went from there into a main jar with a young bloke that was probably 17 or 18. Yeah. And then from there we went through the process um, through some you know, harder crimes and then you know finished the book off with terrorism which is probably one of the newer issues in jails and how we're dealing with with those sorts of inmates. So, yeah, I think I got there. It was, you know, I can't say I absolutely meticulously planned it, but it was more I just shuffled it around and thought that might work, and it did. It was a bit of, bit of luck in it. Mm. So obviously the, the this theme of writing about prisons has been successful for you. When you wrote that first one, did you think it was going to be as popular as it was? I, I suspected it would be, but no, I didn't think it was going to be a, an Australian bestseller and hit number one. So, um, mm. And I also thought it was the last book I'd ever write on prisons. I, I was really? all ready to go off. Yeah, I was going to go and write off about sharks or porn, the porn industry or <laughs> something. I feel like that, I don't want to stay on one thing. And because of the success, I guess it sort of pigeonholed me into it. And then, yeah, it talked into a second, then a third, and each one's been my last. And I, <laughs> I was adamant that this would be my last one but um i've just signed up to do another one really what's the theme of this one the next one will be women only so you know you're australian wentworth if you will girls girls only really so have you been researching that have you been going to visit women in prisons yeah i've started the process so um i've haven't been in prisons yet with them but i've met a lot of girls outside that are that have been in them and also dealing with a couple of um, officers. And as I said, now I'm, these are all new contacts. So I'm in the process of gaining their trust mm. um, and obviously doing it a bit covertly with the corrective services department. So mm-hmm. yeah, in a couple of months, hopefully um, they'll, they'll be taking me into jails and showing me around and opening up a little bit more, but um, yeah, yeah right. it's, it's not full time at the moment, but I'm certainly every week, you know, meeting these people and having coffees and hearing stories and, getting a little framework in my mind and working out what I need to do. You mentioned that an important part of this process is to gain their trust, which is obvious because that's the only way you're going to get in. So how do you go about doing that? Just contact, talking, you know, it's like when you meet a friend, the first time you meet them, you don't really know them, I guess. And, um, yeah, you've just got to keep keep at it and eventually you'll find something common, you, you become friends and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll learn to trust you. Um, I don't know, it's just the way I am, I guess. Yeah. Um, being a journalist, you do it every day, but, yeah, you, you can't be afraid to talk and meet people and and um, be outgoing, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Um, what's the scariest person you've met? <laughs> um, without doubt, Goldie. So he's featured right. in a chapter of the book. Goldie yes. is six foot six. His name is Goldie because he has a complete front row of gold teeth. Mm. He's covered in tattoos and he's an alleged hitman. Um, so he founded one of Sydney's worst and most notorious gangs, which is called Brothers for Life. Mm. Um, he was in motorcycle gangs. 
And yeah, when he was arrested uh, for one of his bigger crimes, the police found a backpack in his house. Mm. In it, he had a police uniform, uh, an address, a picture of his target, a gun <gasps> with a silencer, another gun, um, some explosives. Um, yeah, so. Oh my God. Yeah, so, this is a, he's an MMA fighter as well. Is, is yeah, he's yeah. trying to be an MMA fighter. But he actually contacted me after my second book and he wasn't happy about some of the things that were written. He t- was telling me I was wrong Ooh. and he wanted to meet me. Oh, my God. And I thought, this guy might want to kill me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had to get some people's advice and everyone I thought, don't go near him. No, he's a maniac. No. Um, he probably does want to kill you. <laughs> and eventually I got the courage to go and meet him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, as you could see, his chapter's riveting. Um, yeah. And yeah, well worth it. So to bring you that story, I, I went through a lot, I suppose, and yeah. a, a few sleepless nights, but that's all part of the process. At any point then in the last three books, especially when there was a bounty on your head, did you think, I'm not going to finish this book? No, no, definitely not. Really? I mean, no, you never crossed stuff. your mind. Well, once you've already spent the advance, there's little you can do. <laughs> okay, so, well, there's that issue. Yeah, I, so, I wasn't going to be able to pay it back. Yeah, so, okay, you say that each one has meant to be your last because you want to go off and write these other things, but now you're doing this women's prison one. Have you thought, okay, when it really is my last, I'm going to write about X, whatever X is? Yeah, I want to write fiction. As I said, I've already began writing it. It's a a horror fiction, um, something I'm very passionate about, and it's got a lot of nonfiction in it too, which is I guess I get to use the skills that I've learnt doing these other books. But um, I think if you look at my style already, there's a lot of of, uh, narrative and and sort of fictional writing. It's not Mm. straight up and down, he said, she said. I try and be as descriptive as possible. It's a bit like new journalism. Yeah, it is. It's you know you don't you don't just write what they say. You, you imagine where they were and try and paint the picture for them. Yes. And I mean, a, a lot of questions go into it. You know, you feel a bit silly going, "Oh, what colour was the brick?" And you know, uh, how sharp was the wall? Can you tell me the texture of the floor? But you know, if you get all that, you can really write write about the situation and put the reader in that cell with them. Mm. And what was the hardest thing? What or what were one of the hardest things about writing these books? Um, I don't know how to answer that really. Um, Most challenging thing? Yeah, I don't know. I think I enjoy challenges and any challenge I had, something I'd probably look forward to. Um, Obviously the flack uh, afterwards, the corrective services were very difficult to deal with and they tried to make my life a living hell. Um, In what sense? Oh, they, they went to my employer and tried to insinuate that everything I was writing was untrue. Mm. Um, they had meetings, you know, basically to the point where they were trying to get me sacked. And mm. luckily my editor is a fantastic man and, you know, one of my mentors and he stuck by me. And as it's turned out, I've written has been proven to be true um, in courts and places like that. And yeah, it's actually turned the tide on the old corrective services department. And they've had a little bit of pressure put on them mm. for some of the things they've done. But yeah, that, that was probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, I mean, it certainly shines a light on quite a lot of things. And when people read this book, I know a lot of people who are going to read, who will read this book and read the bit. I won't 
spoil it in case they haven't discovered this yet, but read the bit about what uh, happened with Martin Bright in 2006. Mm-hmm. It's like astounding, astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, there are no words. But anyway, I won't spoil it for people. Um, were there any points where your publisher went, we just, you know, for legal reasons or whatever reasons, for, you know, bounty on my head reasons, we don't want to publish that, those bits? No, I mean, that's why I've written four books with Random House Penguin now is because they've never questioned anything, never knocked back anything um, and been absolutely supportive. So, I mean, I've written things at times I thought I can't, that, that's too much when I've spoken to my editor and, you know, she or he has just gone, no, it's great, it's brilliant, you've written it for a reason, let's go with it. Mm. What's been the most exciting thing about this whole process of these books? Um. I don't know, I guess getting the book in your hand for the first time is probably mm, yes. the most exciting thing. You sort of finish it in my, my case in February and you, you go through the editing process and all that sort of stuff and then you forget about it and then one day there'll be a knock on your door, there's a box and you, you pick up the book and hold it in your hand and at the end of the day I'm a book lover. Mm. Um, that's why I do this and to hold your own book in your hand and look at it and you know, it's a pretty, pretty proud moment. So that that's definitely the best. Yeah, fantastic. Getting it and smelling the print and looking at it. Were there any moments, because you are, you know, going into jails and dealing with inmates and dealing with violent criminals in some cases, many cases, were there any moments where your adrenaline was, you know, like uh, really going for it? Oh, absolutely. Every time you walk into one of those places, your adrenaline's going for it. I mean, especially meeting meeting one of those guys for the first time and, just sitting in a visits room with, you know, you don't know who's around you. You're in an open room. There's guards there. But they're in a they're in a box sort of thing looking over you. But you know, you could have a, a serial killer on the next table. He's not restrained. He could jump across and kill you. You don't know. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you're always on edge, and the adrenaline's certainly going. Well. Um... The book's fantastic. As I said, I don't be, I'm honest about it. It's not my the usual thing I would pick up and read, but I actually couldn't put it down. So, um, yeah, good luck with it. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, maybe we can get you reading some more and maybe <laughs> even come for a visit to one of these prisons with me one day. You, awesome. might, you might get your drink going as well. Awesome. There you go, Al, James Phelps. Well, that was fairly mind-boggling. So a couple of things we need to discuss here. (laughs) First of all, when you told me that we were talking to him about his books that were about prisons, my first thought was how brave do you need to be because seriously you say the wrong thing and you're in trouble and Mm. then the next thing he's got a bounty on his head and is walking around with a baseball bat, which, you know, wow. I know. I think I'd give up at that point. But the tent – Let's talk about the tent. Who does that? I know who does that. The logistics of that just made me go, what? (laughs) I'm so glad he's progressed to a cabin. I feel better about that. Yes, I certainly wouldn't be riding in a tent myself. No, I don't like to be in a tent at all. I'm sort of, you know, my boys would love to go camping and I'm just like, you know what, you can do that with your dad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let alone write in one. Mm. Anywho. Anywho. Uh, yes, I hope you all enjoyed listening to James Phelps. Okay, so I think this book's going to go off for Father's Day. It's just a perfect Father's Day book. Oh, it sounds like yeah. it. Yeah, really. Per- I love it when they bring them out for Father's you, you can see the timing in these things. Mm. Like, it's like um, I think we talked to Andrew Faulkner, mm. who, by the way, was another one of those interviews that just went in really interesting directions. If you haven't listened to the Andrew Faulkner interview, have a listen to that. Um 
I think his book came out last year for Father's Day. It was the military history one. It's that time of year, isn't it? Yeah, definitely yeah. that yeah. time of year. But yeah. it's a it's a cracker of a Father's Day book. Excellent. Uh, and it's one that I guarantee you, the recipient will read. Because there just, you go. Yeah. Guarantee. I reckon. Oh, be cool. <laughs> just dads we're talking about. I know. It's, <laughs> it's got to be better than socks, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our platform building tip for the week. What have you got, Al? Oh, well, I've got some really, really exciting news. So um, I was poking around in the Build Your Author Platform uh, group, which is the Facebook group we have for graduates of that that on-demand course. And um, Elizabeth Foster announced uh, just the other day that she signed a contract with Odyssey Books for her debut novel, which is called Esme's Wish, Mm -hmm. um, which is going to be published by Odyssey Books next year. And I was so excited for it. And she made the point of saying (laughs) they didn't actually see my author platform before offering, but yay anyway. And I was like, yay, because now you're so set up because she has a really lovely uh, author website all organized now at Elizabeth elizabethfoster.com.au if you'd like to go and have a look and we'll put the link in the show notes but um she's there and i see her on twitter and of course because she's done the course and we're in the group together i have retweeted her information like her um shared the news of her debut novel etc etc so um again the power of networking um is is very much evident there Um, but I just wanted to say congratulations to Elizabeth and I look forward to watching her efforts over the next year or so to kind of get that book um, like to get that community going around her so that when that book comes out there's like a million people that are cheer so congratulations Elizabeth yeah congratulations Elizabeth so exciting so happy to hear this I know um can't wait for the book to come out I know it's really exciting and of course if you are interested in building your author platform make sure you check out Alison's course on exactly that how to build your author platform it's a wonderful (laughs) step-by-step guide on literally all the things that you need to do in order to Build Your Author Platform. And you can find out more at writerscentercomau slash platform. Well, that almost brings us to the end of our episode this week. What will you be doing this week? Uh, well, I'm just I'm doing a little bit of tidying up of the back end of my website. One thing I did learn mm. when I was doing my little facelift was just how many bits of odds and sods do get left. Like I've got nearly a thousand blog posts on my website now and hundreds and hundreds of them are related to writing so I've just been going through and I've been recategorizing and organizing things I've been deleting things that um, probably don't um, I don't need anymore and, and all of that sort of stuff and I've just you know, fixing broken links and just so many things that can fall apart when you're not watching the back end of your website. So if you do have a website, I recommend that you don't wait five years to do this, but actually (laughs) do it sooner. Um, But yeah, so I've created a whole new page on the website, which is called For Writers. Mm. And there's a a sort of a new landing page there that helps direct people to where they need to go to find the information that they want. I'm really happy with how that's gone because I think one thing when you do have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of blog posts is just that organisation of how do people get where they need to go and find what they're looking for. So that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, right. (laughs) Lucky me. (laughs) Lucky you. And you, what will you be doing? Uh, I can't even think past today because I've been in my grumpiness. Yeah, Yeah, because I'm going to the shiatsu person to try and fix it Mm -hmm. and hopefully all will be well in the world again. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you know next episode. I can't wait. (laughs) 
can't wait to hear. All right. So in the meantime, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, well, you'll find me on my website, my new and exciting website at alisontate.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. Fantastic. You'll and find you? me, yes, at Valerie Koo on Twitter and as well as Instagram and just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook. And even though I have been doing Snapchat lately mm-hmm. under the Valerie Koo, now that Instagram have Instagram stories, I'm sort of less inclined. Oh, now this is something I was actually going to ask you about, but maybe we'll save that for the next episode because I – I've seen quite a few people say that and mm. I wondered what the impact would be on Snapchat. But let's wait till next episode to discuss right. that at length or we'll be here all day. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.